It is Friday the 17th of May 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 40 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice and if you're looking for financial advice I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. So for this episode I'll caught up with Asanta Wajaratni. He's the CEO of one of New Zealand's newest public companies, Paysource. For those that don't know, Paysource trades on the NZX under the ticker code PYS. And as you can find out more about them by going to paysource.com. That's pay as in P-A-Y and source as in tomato sauce.com. So as per all of my interviews, it's unscripted and uncut. And you know, the, the great thing about that approach, I think, is it, it gives the guests the chance to talk about what they want to talk about. And by the way, if you if you can think of any guests that you'd like to hear on the podcast, then please send, send me an email or message me on Facebook or whatever to jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz and I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do about getting them on. So let's pick up the, the recording from the start of the conversation. Right, so I'm he- sitting here in Auckland with the PaySource CEO and founder, Asanta Wijay Ratna. Um, what I'll get you to do, Asanta, is just to kick things off, is I'll just get you to give a, a quick explanation of what you guys do, as if I don't know anything about the business, because I, I guess there's a lot of people out there that might not know too much about what you guys do. Our core business is to help employers and employees talk to each other efficiently. The foundation of that, obviously, is payroll, about paying people accurately and timely. And there's a whole lot of other stuff from timesheets to employment contracts to HR that are around that process. And our mission is how do we take the friction that currently exists in a lot of these processes out? That's, that's what we're looking to do. Absolutely. And, and how does that take place in a form? Is it through an app or how does the actual process work? Yep. We are a true cloud solution. Clients can access, a, access our solution, both the employer and the employee, from any device they've got. So whether they've got a desktop that they use the internet to connect to. So we're a true cloud software as a service business. Absolutely. So how, how do you go about generating revenue then? The, up to now, the number one source of revenue is being from the provision of selling payroll services. So our clients contract us to provide the service to run their payroll. It, we calculate how much to pay the employees and then we take care of paying the employees, paying the IRD, filing the PAY return. And for that service, we charge the clients $5 a pay run and $1.89 a pay slip. Absolutely. So I came across your company. I was just scrolling through the announcements on the NZX as I do most days. And I, I saw this ticker symbol PYS. And I'm like, who, who is PYS? Have I missed an IPO here? What's going on? I, 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 how can I miss an IPO? And so can you guys explain how you became a public company, essentially? Um, we're an old-fashioned business, and we've always viewed public markets as the place to go to to raise capital, as opposed to the current obsession with doing endless rounds of private equity and, and, and private rounds. So, so just to interrupt, what was, it, what was it that you didn't like about private equity, for example, or the capital raises off the market? Uh, because it becomes really hard to establish what the real price of the business is. Um, there, there could be a lot of competing interests, a lot of vested interests that, and, and, and as a founder of a business, you become trapped in these things and, and, and you have no other option 
but to swallow whatever deal that's put in front of you. So they said that there is a significant inequality of power when a company is dependent on private funding as opposed to public funding. Absolutely, and I guess as a CEO, you're spending more and more time dealing with those sorts of things as opposed to running the business, is that right? Yep. Yeah. So t- tell me about, just before we kick off, t- tell me about how you founded the company and, and a bit about your background, and we'll come back to the listing in a second. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a payroll all-timer. I, I'm also the founder of a company called Smart Payroll. Smart Payroll was born 16 years ago as a result of Datacom, New Zealand's largest tech business and payroll business, having invented this really cool online payroll solution. And after two and a half years of creating this product and taking it to market, they were really struggling to get any traction. They had less than 100 customers, and they had decided that maybe this was a bad idea. Um, That's where we met, and that was the product that became Smart Payroll. So we took that business from zero customers to being the largest SME payroll solution in New Zealand, and that was in 2013. Uh, I exited that business in December 2013. So when you say you exited the business, you sold the business, is that right? Yeah. I I was the major shareholder. I sold my shareholding back to Datacom. Now, the business was incredibly profitable, growing fast. But as again, as as a founder and CEO, the issue I had was we didn't own the technology. The technology was owned by Datacom. And we were licensing the technology. So you're like a reseller almost. Absolutely. A reseller would be the best way to describe that. So we provide the sales and support. The, the way we won market share was by providing extraordinarily good customer care. And, and that's what set us apart. And, and it, it was the training that you know, we're putting into use now. Um, and because we couldn't influence the direction of the product, uh, it became quite obvious uh, for the future of the business. You know, as a founder, just having a, a, a successful company with a dividend stream is, is not the most exciting thing. You, you want to do things with the business, and, and we couldn't do that. And, and, and that's the reason that um, I, I sold that business um, to Datacom in December 2013. Fantastic. So I'm making the assumption that payroll was sort of in your DNA. You're, you're an expert in... And payroll almost. Yeah, but I, I can see I've dedicated most of my working life to payroll, so I, I understand the complexity. You know, the, the bit that motivates me is a lot of people go into business with fantastic ideas to change the world, to do all of these things. While doing that, there is a huge imposition of a compliance burden that you are never prepared for. You had to file PAY returns, you've got to get it accurate, you've got to do the Holidays Act compliance. If the regulator of the Holidays Act in New Zealand can't pay their own employees correctly and comply with the law, what chance would a startup entrepreneur in Glen Eden have in complying? Absolutely, I understand what you mean. So tell us about the origins of PaySource then. I mean, when, when did you set up the company and, and how did you get Basically, your life before a public company is pay source, I guess. Um, like, like most events in my life, um, I met the right kind of people. Uh, my co-founder, Troy Tarrant, who was based in Christchurch, Troy had done two stints at Pay Global. He had thought about 
the, how to architect and set up a modern payroll business that works not only in one country, but in many countries, which was the problem that Pay Global was looking at. Um, that experience with the experience he had in mobile and new ways of thinking. Um, and having met Troy and spoken to him, I was drawn back into the world of payroll because in New Zealand today, somewhere between 40 to 50% of businesses that employ between one and 20 staff are using a manual process for calculating and paying their staff. And I can tell you, the vast majority of those will not be compliant with the legislation because you can't be. New Zealand has one of the most complex Holidays Act requirements in the world. And, and it's impossible to do that on a wage book that you can buy from a bookshop. So if I were to sum up your, I guess, your selling points as a, as a product, you've, you're giving someone an easy to use app firstly, um, it's cost effective to run, and it makes them compliant. Would that be the three marketing areas for you guys? Absolutely. So, so the idea is how can we take as much of the complexity that exists in the whole paying people business and build that into the solution? How can we take the complexity of the banking relationship they have in terms of how do you move money from one account to another? And thirdly, how do you take away the complexity of how do you interact with the inland revenue department out of the equation and automate all of that using the technology we got and making that device agnostic. So whether I'm using a smartphone, whether I'm using a laptop, it doesn't matter what. I can go into a computer bureau in the middle of China and run my New Zealand payroll today. That's what we're saying and that's what we've built. Absolutely. So I guess now, it, oh, actually, I'll ask one more question before I ask that. You originally, you've, you've started off by targeting the agriculture se sector, am I correct in saying that? Can you talk to that and, and the reasons why and if you think you'll target other sectors in the future as well? Yeah, so we've, uh, we've, we've always had a philosophy of picking a, a sector that we can understand really well and solve the compliance burdens that are particular to that sector gives you a significant marketing advantage. We, we believe in good old word of mouth marketing. And when you look at Agri, that is probably one of the least serviced sectors, but it is the second largest group on the demographic data. So, so we found a unloved sector that is facing significant compliance burden for unintentionally breaching things like the minimum wage because of the way that the, the because of a peculiarity in particularly in dairy that exists and we said can we use technology to solve this problem and the answer to that has been yes and so that has seen us over a very short period of time connecting with all of the significant players in agri and particularly in dairy from federated farmers to the dairy women's network to dairy nz and saying what are the industry problems around employer-employee relationships and how can we solve that. That has now seen us go from no presence in that sector uh, based on our last published numbers and, and the publicly available information to having more than 10% of all dairy farms in New Zealand use us. 
Fantastic. So your business model there, it's, is, it, is it one dairy farmer at a time or is it more approaching those groups and trying to achieve a broader audience straight away? The, the average revenue per user um, for us, uh, based on our published numbers, last release numbers, um, is, is around the $55 mark. Is that per year? Per month. Per month, yeah. So, so that gives us around a 600 bucks, uh, six or $700 a, a year. To have a sales team to go out and sell people one at a time is, is uneconomical. We've mm-hmm. tried these things. And so what we found is if we build a network and, and we plug into existing networks, and we solve a problem for a farmer at a time, then over time they start talking to each other. And, and, and that creates its own momentum. If you provide extraordinary customer care on top of that, that accelerates the process. And, and we are seeing the benefits of that. We, we, we are well on our way um, in, in that sector. So the farmer's down at the pub on a Friday night talking with his other farmer mates and either one of them's complaining about their payroll or one of them is talking about this new company that's made payroll easier and that's how those discussions start, I guess. Absolutely. P- payroll payroll is, has got a, a, a unique feature that works well for... If you've got them as a customer, nobody wants to change their payroll system, no matter how bad it is. If you've got a really good payroll system and then it's working for you, you'll tell everybody about it. So when people are ready to make the change, they know what to do. And it, it is those discussions down at the pub, around the barbecue, um, and, and you know, uh, mums dropping kids off, saying, look, you know, I've finished my payroll. And, and, and th- th- this is, these are true things that are happening. And, and as we get deeper into the rural community, we are seeing that uh, as part of our commitment to the rural sector. Uh, we are opening our first uh, regional uh, presence in North Canterbury. So we've we've said we don't want farmers to come to us, we'll come to you, and and we'll come to you where you are through the networks that you trust. So we ran a very successful nationwide tour of 12 centres where we spoke to hundreds of of dairy farmers via the Dairy Women's Network. We had a, a strategic partner of theirs, and it was not a sales trip. It was about helping business owners on farm understand what their compliance burdens are and the requirements are and how to solve that. As a result, yes, they'll understand what we can provide them, but it's, it's a very, very different approach. It's not trying to force somebody to change what they're doing. So my next question around that, I, I, I get everything you're saying. So what happens when I'm a farmer and I'm having some sort of problem with the app. It might not, might not actually be a problem with the app itself. It could be a problem with their Wi-Fi connection that they attribute to the app. It could be that it crashes on their phone. Something's gone wrong. What, what happens then and they want to get some help on it? How, how do you guys service those people? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the beauty of this thing. Whether it is a banking thing that's gone wrong or whether it's an IRD thing that's gone wrong or it's their internet provider, the people they ring, they ring us. They ring pesos and say, my payroll is not working. So they speak to an account manager or they, they just speak to... We, ha- we have a help desk. Currently, we have a help desk that is central. Um, and, and, and again, the idea is to tap into the rural network to create a group of supporters and, and, and people who can work for us in the regions itself. So currently, the model is that, that we have a call center that we run and people ring in. Uh, we don't advertise the fact that we never stop answering the phone, not on any day, not at any time. 
So, so we, again, that kind of commitment to customer care creates a relationship that people... Payroll is such an emotionally um, powerful event. If my staff don't get paid this morning, I am a very, very unpopular employer. So how do I ensure that if things go wrong, problems get solved and the money gets moved and the pay gets done? How do we make that happen? So we have a team of fantastic uh, individuals who will go out of their way to solve the problem no matter what has caused that. We'll, we'll get to the bottom of it and we'll make sure that the pays get through. Yeah. Now, okay, I guess we're at the stage now where we should talk about how you guys became a, a public company because um, it wasn't through a traditional IPO as I hinted at before. It was through, I guess, what's commonly known as a reverse listing. Is that right? Correct. I've, I've, I've observed and spoken to a number of founders who have gone down the path of a traditional IPO. Uh, it is virtually impossible to focus on building a business and run an IPO process at the same time. It is both time-consuming, emotional-consuming, and, 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 and it's, a, it's a hard process. And, and it's not something that I and the team wanted to go down at this point in our evolution. Uh, but we always wanted to have a public um, presence um, so the opportunity came up for us to be a public listed company without the IPO process. The second part of the IPO process... So is that by taking over someone else's... Yeah. I guess ticket, <coughs> ticket code, essentially. Correct. So the, the other part of, the, of going through the IPO is that at the end of the IPO process, the founders, the people who sweated blood and who invested all of their energy into a business become minority shareholders. And that is something that you know, I've, I've sought to avoid. So when the opportunity came up for us to essentially become a listed entity by being acquired, because that's technically what happens, by a defunct business, which was Energy Med, uh, which had sadly uh, not been able to fulfill uh, its promise, um, they had a group of around 750 shareholders, so which met the spread requirement they had um, it's already listed so it meant that if we were able to do a transaction we could be, we could then become that company and just change the name and and the ticker symbol so that was a lot faster process <laughs> it was, wasn't as fast as we thought it was going to be um and 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 there's two things people have got a bad, have got an idea that it is a uh, it is a shortcut the compliance burden to become a reverse listed entity is now as great or greater than if you went through an IPO process. In order to establish value, valuation, an independent valuer had to establish that it was a true and fair reflection of the transaction. Uh, and that's an independent person, not somebody that you know, we paid for. So those are the kinds of requirements and there's a lot of legal stuff. Uh, we had a fantastic team that looked after all of that and sheltered myself and, and, and my execs from having to go through a lot of that, a lot of that trauma. Um, but, you know, on the 21st of December, we became a public listed entity. And I'm proud to say, uh, as of now, uh, Troy, my co-founder and myself and the first 12 uh, employees together, uh, we've got a significant shareholding that is greater than a majority um, in the business. Fantastic. Because when you, when you reverse listed, you didn't actually raise any money, is that right? Correct. So because we didn't raise money, uh, we were able to maintain uh, the, the, the shareholding 
percentages that existed uh, prior to the listing. The, the dilutionary effect was the 3% that the old energy med shareholders became so. Yeah. Yeah. So post listing, we owned 97% and energy med owned, the energy med shareholders owned 3%. Yeah. So one of the offshoots of this listing process was that, and correct me if I'm wrong on the numbers here, you ended up with, I think, 5.8 billion shares outstanding? <laughs> That's correct. So, so we, I, I think we've got the largest number of shares outstanding uh, by, <laughs> really? by, by number. And on the NZX? On the NZX. Yeah. Um, which, which is... Just to give people something to work off there, I think Ryman Healthcare has 500 million shares outstanding. To put that in context. But because Energy Med already had a large number of shares on issue and the fact that we had to end up with 97 and they had to end up with three, the only way to do that was to issue five point, you know, whatever number, billion shares. Um, it, we, we understand that that, that, that causes a, a whole bunch of issues from people looking at it and, and that is something that a, a number of people have raised with us and that is something that is actively under consideration by our board. So it's potential, I know you might not be able to say, but potential for a reverse stock split or something like that in the future or some other solution? That, that is one possible way to, to resolve the issue of the, uh, the, the, the significant number of shares that are on issue, which also creates a problem when you know, someone makes uh, $1,000 worth of a sale uh, that can move the valuation by $5 million. Yeah, yeah, which is obviously makes it hard for people to, I guess, value the company and... and you know, buy the shares and confidence sometimes, I guess. Yep. Um, so, okay, we got to where we are now, list a company. That was in December, was it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, list a company, we're sort of five or six months in. Talk, talk to me about the, the numbers and, and how the business is doing now. So, the last reported set of numbers was for the first quarter of 2019, uh, where we've continued to see significant growth. So, when that's compared to the same quarter of last year, uh, on a revenue basis, we were just over 100% up. Uh, we're, we're seeing uh, what we expected in terms of the word of mouth effect um, work for us. And, and there's also been an increased awareness of payroll because of IRD making it mandatory for all businesses to, to file a PAY return every time they make a pay run. That is without doubt, the most significant change in the PAY system since the PAY was introduced. So we've gone from, previously, you paid people during the month, and then on the 20th of the following month, you made the payment and you filed the PAY return. Yeah. Now, every time you do a pay run, you essentially have two days to file an electronic PAY return with IRT. Again, if you're running a manual system, that becomes quite a challenging process. Uh, IRD is, 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 will be forgiving in the, in the early days, uh, but you know, I, I can see the burden of compliance uh, increasing on businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess when you look at software as a service companies, the, the, the metrics you look at are average, average revenue per user and, and total users and then growth of users. Can, are you able to talk specifically about those sorts of numbers? Yeah, so we, the, obviously the, the, the average revenue per user based on the current processing model is published. Um, we just released a market update uh, this week um, that we've introduced our first platform product, 
which is the Federated Farmers Employment Contract, um, where we'll start seeing additional revenue on top of the standard revenue model that we have being derived for the company. So those are the things that will add to, to the revenue as we go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how big is this market in, in, in New Zealand for you? I mean, I know you're going to say everyone that pays someone, but how, in terms of like market share, I mean, where, where can you realistically get to in New Zealand? And then is there opportunities for you to expand overseas as well? Yeah, so at the, at the moment, the focus for us is in the SME. And, and we are defining SMEs as those that employ between 1 and 20 staff. In New Zealand, in round numbers, there's 150,000 of those, of those types of entities. And when you look at the user numbers, you can, some numbers are published, some numbers we've guessed. Um, we come up with a number that says around somewhere between 40 to 50% of that, that is 60 to 75,000 of those businesses are using a manual process. And each and every one of those businesses will be in the market for a new solution. So we're not talking about flipping people from whatever they're using. This is blue sky, people who don't have a solution that will need to find a solution in order to comply is at least half of the existing market. And, 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 and the metric is very simple. Um, if, if it's $600 per customer per month, every thousand customers is $600,000 in revenue, Per thousand businesses, so we estimate there's between sixty to seventy-five thousand of those businesses just in New Zealand alone that will be in the market for a, a new cloud-based payroll solution. So it's a land grab. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to ask a question. What's there's n- I always ask this question when I talk to SaaS companies, and there's no right or wrong answer. There's just different approaches. So, say for example just as an example of some big tech companies. Amazon is a company, for example, that has perhaps foregone profit in the past with the expectation of more profit in the future and they're delivering on that. Whereas, say, Facebook, as an example, is, is a company that has been profitable from day one and is really focused on, on, on that metric. There's no right or wrong way, but where, where do you sit in that scale? Uh, that, that's... That... That, that, is, that is something that I can't, I can't talk about freely. Um, as, as, we, as we progress as, as, and evolve as a business, those are, as soon as we make firm decisions on those things, those are things that we will disclose. So again, as a board and as a company, we believe in being as transparent as possible so that investors can make the decision as to is this a good investment or not. Uh, it, it is really early in, in, in our evolution. Uh, there are a significant number of accountants on our board, um, so it is a more conservative board. That's, that is yeah. probably all I can... Accountants I can by nature, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm going to ask you another question you probably won't answer. Um, I think listeners are going to make the inevitable... They're going to join the dots in their mind and they're going to go, it's the zero of payroll, as an example. Um, just because I think there's some similarities there. I mean, what, what, what do you make of that comment? I'm incredibly flattered when I hear that. Um, there, there are certainly a lot of similarities. In terms of timing, when Zero came on the market 12 years ago, uh, it was an industry dominated by a handful, not handful, two very strong players that had been there for a long time. And as a result, the industry had not seen innovation. 
uh, we are pretty much in a similar marketplace. There's, there's a, there are probably a, a number of smaller SaaS-based payroll providers, but there is no clear major position held. And, and so, so that, that's one similarity. Two is that the idea that Rod had of providing a beautiful, simple solution that any business owner can run is again very much at the heart of what we do. If you need to go for a training course to work how to run our system, we've failed you. Mm. So, so there are a lot of things that we've learned from what Zero have done. Um, and, and in terms of not just in New Zealand, but also globally, the opportunity for innovative payroll... You don't want farmers up at night reading manuals, figuring out how to use your product, right? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. They won't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were talking off air before, and it was something really interesting to me that I didn't even consider coming into this meeting today. When you think about float, you, you typically think of like Berkshire Hathaway and their insurance float. But you were mentioning to me that your business model generates float, at least for a short period of time as well. Is that right? Yeah. So we direct debit from the client, the PAYE that is due on the 20th of the following month. So the shortest time we'll hold that money for is 21 days. And the longest time, obviously, is 50 days. So the, it ranges between those two numbers. So, so we derive a, a portion of our revenue from that interest component. So essentially, what I mean by float is that it's money that sits in your bank account essentially as a, as a payable that's going to go out of the account later on, but you guys can generate interest of it in the meantime. Is that right? That's correct. The, the, the New, New Zealand is unique in having a piece of legislation that is the payroll intermediary legislation that essentially safeguards that money once it's out of the client account is that a common question we get asked by clients is, so you take the PAY money and, and you disappear, what's the risk to me? The risk to a business owner is nothing because once the money moves from the client's account into our trust account, we are liable for it, not the employer. Mm. And, and that is a legislative um, safeguard that exists in New Zealand today. So I assume you're having some insur insurance around that as well in case... We, we have a lot of internal yeah. controls over that to ensure that, that that money is safeguarded. The only money that goes into that account is the, 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 the PAYE, and the only money that goes out is money to IRD. So that, I would, I would say my opinion is that, insure, that that float and the interest you receive from that is icing on the cake at the moment, but it could potentially grow into something big over time, couldn't it? Absolutely. And especially in an environment where interest rates increase, may increase. Correct. Uh, a change in interest rates will have a positive impact on the revenue we'll derive from the floor. Assuming that changes upwards. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, so Kit, just before we, we wrap up, could you explain some of the challenges that you guys are facing at the moment in terms of, because you're a company that clearly needs to grow. So what, what challenges are you seeing to, to, I guess, slow down that growth or stop you from capturing that growth at the moment? Um, it, it is a question of awareness, um, and on top of that, as a company that is, is totally committed to customer care, 
there is a, a natural break as to how quickly you can grow and how fast you can scale. So, so we are looking at innovative ways that you know, we, can, we can scale quickly and, 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 and cope with whatever demand comes our way. People ask me, you know, if, you, if you had 1,000 customers who register with you this month, can you deal with that? And the answer to that is yes. It's, it's because we've, from day one, our business has been designed to scale. So in terms of challenges, um, getting a new business off the ground, getting known and, and, and people knowing who you are um, is, is probably the number one challenge. And, 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 and we are solving that rather than spend money on broader advertising is, is by doing uh, local events and, and working with the organizations like accounting firms to, to get known as, as a provider. Yeah, and just just thinking here, if we're talking off off air, so to speak, about different metrics for understanding your business, what should investors, when they read your next quarterly update or your next interim report or your full year or whatever, what what metrics should investors focus on to assess your company? Um, the number of employees we are paying. Uh, the value of payments to IRD, so which gives you an idea of the, the total payroll processed, and, and we, we, we're publishing these numbers. Um, and I suppose those two give a, a really good idea of the direction of, of the revenue. Um, and, and as we go in, in, in future, I, I, I expect that things like the gross margin on our business and churn rates become important. So to churn rates to people that are leaving the leaving the service sort of thing is that what you mean correct yeah so so one of the one of the challenges as a software as a service business is that you derive revenue for only the work you do and you do not have the benefit that the traditional software businesses had of having licensed committed revenue mm. if someone decides they don't like what we're doing they stop using us today we don't see that revenue anymore people go out of business people stop employing people and so those are things that naturally cause client attrition. So therefore, if I put on 100 new customers and I've lost five, my net gain for this month would be 95. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess for you then, because you don't have the, I like that term you used actually, they license revenue. Um, it's about, I guess, adding value to the service and improving the product over time so you can give people a reason to keep on, Subscribing is not the right word, but keep on subscribing. Correct. The, the, the more things we do and the more confidence business owners, our clients have in the service we deliver, the stickier the solution becomes. So how do we, how do we measure that? Um, and again, one of the key metrics we use is the net promoter score, which tells us the likelihood of a client referring us. And, and, and those numbers indicate that we are, um, we are industry leading in terms of client satisfaction. Uh, that I'm sure you filled out a number of those. What's the likelihood of you referring us to your friends and family? Mm. Okay, so I'm, I'm pretty much out of questions. What I would say is that you can find PaySource on the NZX under the ticker code PYS, so look them up. But I'll leave it with you, Asana. Where, where can people go to find out more about your company? Um, our website clearly outlines all of the different offerings we have. We have got uh, and spent a lot of effort in developing an, a special dedicated investor page where investors can even track the value of their shares on a day-to-day -day basis. 
um, and all announcements and everything that impact um, the, the business we, we put on there. Um, when there are releases like we just released the Federated Farmers Contract Builder, uh, we, we published that and, and we, we, we made an announcement of that and we will continue um, our commitment to being as transparent as possible. The website is the best place to go. So the URL for that website is? source. so that's P-A-Y, source like tomato sauce, S-A-U-C-E dot com. Nice one. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Santa, and we look forward to following the company over the next little while in its development. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's, uh, it's been a, a great privilege to, to, to participate in this and, and share uh, our journey with you. Thanks very much. Right, so that was around the end of our conversation. Thanks very much to Asanta for taking his time to chat to me. I, I hope you as a listener enjoyed it, and I, I certainly enjoyed the interview. Just before I go, I think it's worth having a quick chat surrounding valuation. Now, what I say doesn't directly relate to PaySource, but I'll use them as an example because that's what this episode is about and just for some context around the numbers. Now, PaySource is currently valued by the market at a capitalization of around $70 million. So when you buy shares in the stock market, you're buying part of a company. And the way to think about things is, is well, what, what I like to do anyway, is think as if I was buying the whole company. I don't really think about the share price. I normally think about the value of the company as a whole. So we... You, when you buy shares, you're you're sharing in the economic success or failure of the company proportionate to your holding. And that is why the stock market is such a good thing, because it gives us a chance with a relatively small amount of money to buy a small part of the company and receive the economic benefits proportionate to your holding as if you're buying the whole lot. So most people, for example, can't afford the $70 million it will take to buy all of the Paysource shares outstanding, for example. So anyway, the idea of investing is to lay out money now with the idea of getting more money back in the future. So if you're buying a company company today for $70 million, then the assumption is that the company will generate more than $70 million of cash in the future. I mean, why else would you buy it? If you felt the company was going to generate $50 million of, of cash profits in the future, then, and in the future I mean across all the years for the life of the company. So if you thought they were going to generate $50 million, then... Why would you pay? You would you just wouldn't pay seventy million now for it, would you? It just wouldn't be logical. So the other parts to the equation is how long is it going to take to generate the cash and what rate of return you would apply to that. But I, I won't get into that now, except to say that it is an, it, it is important in the stock market. So a, a company could theoretically lose money over the next ten years and still be worth seventy million if it was going to make a significant amount of money in the ten years after that. And you see you've seen plenty of examples of that in, in the past and in, in the stock market. So zero as an example is a company that for for its life as a public company hasn't made any money, but they've been setting themselves up to to make a lot of money in the future, just as an example. Um, so what does PaySource need to do to justify its valuation over the next five years? Now, obviously, that is a question that is open to a wide range of interpretations. And I think it's fair to say that if PaySource is successful, most of the future profits or the future cash will be generated after the next five years. So to just to put some numbers to things, let's, let's say you want a, a 10% return over the next five years. And that if, if, if you... You know, that would be around 70, sorry, of a $70 million market cap, that would be around $7 million. So let's assume for 
that we're forgetting about present values and the rest of that at the moment. So let's assume that that's spread out over the next five years, which would be $1.4 million per year. And in reality, you know, if they do produce $7 million over the next five years, it'll be weighted towards the end of that period. So to achieve $1.4 million in profit, you, you need to attach a profit margin, margin to that to figure out what the revenues need to be. So let's assume that that $1.4 million is at a 15% margin, which is a margin... I'm using that as a number because PayPal's margin's around 13% and 15% is just rounding up. I mean, we have, we have to pick something. And that would imply revenues of 9.3 million. So out of 9.3 million revenues, they might make 1.4 million in profit, for example. So the company makes an average revenue per customer of around $600, and that implies around 15,500 customers. So all these numbers are academic and you know they can change wildly depending on the inputs that you use so don't use this as an example by any means but i guess the key point is that with around 1500 customers right now what you can say is regardless of the numbers that you use is that pay sources price for growth so if you didn't think that they would grow as a company you, you just wouldn't be buying it and that is what the stock market's all about at the end of the day is figuring out what companies are worth on a per share basis and then buying them relative to that and if you can figure out what a stock is worth and buy it for less than that then it is very difficult to lose money in the stock market you know you might be down on paper but over the long term if you're buying stuff for less than what it's worth so buying a dollar for 50 cents essentially then it's impossible to lose money unless you sell it at the at the worst time so i could go on about this for a while but you don't have all day so anyway many thanks again for listening into the podcast as a reminder that nothing that we said today should be considered financial advice and if you're looking to if you're looking for financial advice speak to a authorized financial advisor as always if you're looking to find out more about the podcast go to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on facebook and twitter now as well Make sure also to share it with your friends if you want to email me it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz .co.nz actually. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin and this has been episode 40 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday the 17th of May 2019. We'll see you all again next week.